stretching back in as Leal. Cross, back post, good eye scores! New conference, same Nashville. One, nil, boys in gold in the palace of the Western Conference Kings. One match, three points, and arguably the toughest trip Nashville's going to take in its opening eight-game road stretch and maybe all season. Can't wait to talk all about it. Thanks to Nashville SC and iHeartRadio for the match-winning call. I am Nashville SC Radio Voice Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the owner-operator of ClubCountryUSA.com. This is the Club & Country Podcast, the podcast of record for anyone who wants coverage of this club from two people who've covered it longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And we recognize, by the way, that some of you may be new here. The numbers are indicating that as it seems like they're going way up. The and moon. Uh, really excited to welcome a lot of folks in. It's it's the, uh, the Club & Country um, Hot Tim Spring Bubble, I guess. <laughs> So it's great to great to get to know so many of you. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. One thing you should know about us, as always on the 440 Sports Network, always local. That's the focus, and we have a great show, Tim, today. As uh, yeah, it's a huge win in Seattle. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting time. It's always a little more fun to talk about a win rather than a loss, or or very frequently a draw. So we're really excited to get to chat to you all about it. Yeah, last season Seattle didn't concede a goal from the run of play. In their first nine matches this year, it took just 80 minutes. Anibal Godoy scores his second goal in gold, the first of the season for NSC. And the boys in gold get a massive win against the nearly consensus pick to win the West. And honestly, Tim, I think at about that 78, 79-minute mark, I'm sitting there thinking, hey, that's a good point. Hold yeah, on tight. Absolutely. Take the point yeah. on the road. Maybe the best point they could have earned on this road trip. And then they get three. I mean, there's something to be said for Seattle not having MVP candidate Raul Ruiz Diaz, who left their Thursday game with a thigh injury. Um, there's something to be said for Seattle putting their energy into that Thursday game against Montagua in the CONCACAF Champions League. And there's also something to be said for early season results being a little bit wacky, maybe maybe some uh, games that don't go quite to expectations. But in the end, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Nashville SC boss large uh, large portions of the game, and, and visitors really just don't do that at Lumen Field. Yeah, this is a Seattle team that is emphasizing its CCL action. They'll have eight matches in the next month. So they're certainly very busy, and, and as we'll talk about later in Outside In, it was not a good weekend for CCL teams, but I will agree with you, especially for the first trip away from home. And, and this is arguably the deepest roster in Major League Soccer. I mean, it's not like it was a bunch of scrubs that Seattle was putting out there. Yes, their striker, Adinaran, was was rarely was, was relatively inexperienced. But beyond that, they still had a strong 11 on the field that Nashville was able to, uh, to stymie. In the early shout today, Gary Smith weighs in on the victory, and our gold nuggets dig into the significance of the result. Then we'll discuss the tactical setup, which I think countered, Tim, a lot of expectations of how the club would line up. Mm-hmm. And then a great interview. Jamie Watson, fresh off the plane from Seattle, joins us, the Nashville SC TV color commentator. He has a special connection to Minnesota, but also talks a lot about that Seattle win and breaks down the tactics behind it and then looks ahead to what Nashville can expect from Adrian Heath's Minnesota United. Full of great mailbag questions. Does the win over Seattle enhance the expectations that Nashville SC should have from its first eight matches on the road. What's happening with Ake Loba? I think that's the, the weekly question that we get, but fair when he doesn't start. You know, what is his status? And then we'll go outside in for our results of the week elsewhere in Major League Soccer before blowing the final whistle. But first, Tim, a great watch party on Saturday at ML Rose. 
yeah, thank you to everybody who who managed to make it out there. Um, I'm sure the free beer did did very little to discourage people from showing up to that for sure. But I'm um, a great time had by all on the Eastern Front heaters. Thank you for for joining and having a great time out at ML Rose. Uh, let's move on now to our early shout. It was absolutely vital that we broke up the rhythm of this very talented Sounders group, and, and especially at home. Um, you know, to to give them no opportunity of of getting on top and building their confidence. The guys worked tirelessly. They, you know, made sure that they kept their shape. They uh, offered plenty of quality when in possession. And uh, ultimately, we found a way through in a very, very tight game to take in all three points. Well, the stereotypical Seattle rain could not dampen the spirits of Gary Smith and the boys in gold after they beat the club that has finished second in the West each of the past five seasons. You just heard from the gaffer there. Anib Algadoy won it in the 80th minute, courtesy of a searing cross from Randall Leal that found him all alone at the back post. Yeah, I asked Gary in the post game what it's like to have, you know, all the benefits of a guy like Anibal are generally not considered uh, to be goal scoring in their nature. But, you know, that's what happens when you have a team like Nashville that has, you know, three well-known attackers. Once you start to augment their scoring with a guy like Anibal, um, you know, Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong accounted for 42% of the goals plus assists for the team last year. Uh, so far, uh, 0%, but um, Randall Leal obviously provided the assist on, on Godoy's goal. So he was another one of Nashville's high scorers last year. But if you can get those contributions from guys other than the, the kind of the talisman attacking players, it's really going to take this club to another level. The topic we referenced in the open just a minute ago, we know how good Seattle's been. We know how good they're expected to be. Uh, but even with the, the absence of Raul Rui Diaz and the tired legs from CCL, I don't I don't really think that diminishes how significant this win is for the club. Yes, it makes it slightly more likely when the star striker who's led the West in scoring the last four seasons is unavailable. You can't dismiss that impact completely, but I think still an extremely significant statement night for Nashville SC. Symbolically, it's it's definitely significant. It, it sends a message to the West. You know, I think a lot of people said, "Oh, Nashville's coming over here. They're going to see what it, what's what's really going down over here on this side of the Mississippi." But uh, Nashville kind of answered the first salvo in that in that argument. Um, and of course, when the record books are updated, it's, there's not going to be a little like, "Yeah, but Raul Ruiz Diaz wasn't there." Footnote and in, in the record book, I don't think MLS adds those uh, regularly. Um, obviously, it is easier to beat a team when they're when they're dealing with some adversity. But this is a Seattle team that's dealt with this type of adversity a lot. They've been in Concacaf Champions League um, three of the past five years. Uh, they dealt with not having Jordan Morris pretty much all of last year. Uh, this is a Nashville team that went in and, and did something that um, teams haven't been able to do to weaken Seattle teams in the past. Yeah, it's a, a Seattle team that doesn't lose many home openers either. Their first loss in a home opener since 2018, as we'll get into the gold nuggets, about the significance and the substance of this win. It's the first ever win in a season opener for the boys in gold in the MLS era. They lost 2-1 to Atlanta in 2020, of course, and then drew FC Cincinnati at home last year. Great line by Gary Smith, by the way. Uh, spoke with him last week. He said, yeah, in that Cincy game, we started like a drain and ended like a train. I like that. <laughs> that was classic Gary Smith. Pretty fantastic. Um, but this is the first win in a season opener. As we mentioned, first Seattle loss in three seasons in a home opener for them. They'd won their last three home matches um, again, home openers and scored 10 goals in those contests. 
Yeah, home openers haven't been easy from the scheduling gods for Nashville SC either. In the very first year of the professional franchise in USL, they had to play Louisville City and lost 2-0. Uh, they did get one win during the USL era. In their, their brief USL era, they beat Loudoun United in 2019. But at this level, I think we're, we're seeing record-setting pace for this Nashville SC team. If, if a team that's never, has never won its opener against a team that very rarely loses them, it's a pretty good, pretty good pace to be setting. Do you remember who the two goal scorers were in that win over Loudoun? I absolutely do not. Daniel Rios. Um, okay. And Cameron Lancaster. Ooh. Speaking of fraught, <laughs> fraught personnel here. Let's start first. Let's just stop for a second, our gold nuggets, and let's go ahead and mention that. Daniel Rios departs a trade for GAM with Charlotte, as much as $500,000 coming Nashville's way. It's another one of those, like an Alistair Johnston, maybe even more mm-hmm. so, that is a gut punch for Nashville SC supporters to see an original go. Uh, Taylor Washington now the only remaining USL player who remains on the MLS roster. Hard to see Rios walk away, but good return for a guy that he was fit now, he was healthy, but found himself pretty buried on the depth chart. You know, the, the day he officially departed the team, I, I posted the very first training photo of him from Saw his that. very first training session. I was I was the only person there <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> capture it. Um, and, you know, it, it, he, he's kind of giving a, a little glare, as, as he sometimes did to the media <laughs> on the training pitch. But, um, you know, he, he sent me a message afterward and said, man, thanks so much for posting that. Thanks for, you know, what you've written over the years. And I would have been stunned uh, and I was stunned to hear that he actually like paid attention to any of that stuff, but truly one of the good guys. And it's, it always hurts to see a good guy go, but um, you know, he's going to find great success in Charlotte. And I think there's some, some reasons, including playing time that are going to maybe make it a better fit for him. Yeah. I'm excited for him. And he posted what most outgoing players are going to post. Right. And I think he said something like, I'll always be one of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cliche, but in this case, extremely true. He will always be an original boy in gold. And, uh, I think other than one match this season, Nashville SC supporters will, would, and you know, even then maybe Nashville scores four or five against Charlotte and then, Hey, they can, <laughs> they'd love for Rios to get a brace in that case. Uh, best wishes to Daniel and good. Uh, you know, once again, this, this not business, you know, it, it's business. It's not personal. It was a move that was a wise move for this club, especially bringing in Teal Bunbury. You have another body, you know, in the attack who can really contribute. You hope Loba becomes something special. It just wasn't probably going to happen consistently enough to keep Rios happy. You move him yeah. on, and you get even more gam to that stockpile of gam that Nashville SC is able to accumulate. Yeah, and I think that he he could be maybe higher upside than some of the guys Nashville SC has, mm-hmm. but the consistency that Nashville needs in terms of reliability, and it's obviously not Daniel's fault that he's been injured as frequently as he has, but Nashville needs guys that they can say, on you know, from game one to game 34, we need to have these guys available. And um, Charlotte is in a very different position roster-wise. They can use a guy that's high upside. They have, you know, roster space. They have yeah. especially domestic roster space to go around. He's a green card holder, so he doesn't take up an international slot. It's just a, it's a it's a three part win. I think everybody benefits from it. Best of luck to Daniel. Moving back to recapping Seattle, our second gold nugget. This one I thought was extremely impressive. Seattle didn't manage a shot on target until they were trailing until the 86th minute. In fact, it's the 21st time that Nashville has held an opponent to two shots on frame or fewer, and in that span, it's only happened to Seattle at home eight times over the last couple seasons. New season, same Nashville defense. But same Nashville defense, but maybe different Nashville defense, right? Yeah, because yeah, they there actually was, defended set yeah. pieces really well, too. Yeah, there were seven attacking half free kicks and eight corners for Seattle. Uh, last year's Nashville defense probably would have given up a goal in those uh, 15 tries in, in the attacking <laughs> area. And then, of course, 
you know, the, the result is the same in terms of how high quality Nashville's defense is in the run of play, but the style was pretty different. We'll talk a lot about it, more pressing, more trying to win second balls. That was something very different from what Nashville SC has done in the past couple of years. And they still found a way to succeed while kind of changing philosophy a little bit. Yeah. And part of that was, was a function of the guys they put on the pitch. The lineup surprised mm-hmm. a few folks. Uh, they, they went with a four, one, three, two formation, um, which I think I suggested could be a possibility, not the four, one, three, two, but the personnel on the pitch going with maybe a, a flat or, or more defensive oriented uh, midfield, putting, you know, McCarty, Godoy and Davis all in together. It was McCarty just above the back line, Godoy and Davis anchoring midfield for the attackers, Leal, Mukhtar and Sapong looked a bit more like a four, three, three when Nashville was in the attack. Tim, how effective was that shape in limiting Seattle's buildup and helping Nashville dictate that match? And by dictate, I don't mean in terms of possession, of course, but in terms of just limiting the effectiveness of Seattle's buildup. First, I want to I want to point out what a, a tough ask it was formationally at times for Anibal Godoy and Randall Leal, who kind of had to go from a central midfield to a left midfield in a 4-4-2 for, for Godoy and for Leal going from kind of a, a true winger or a forward to, to that right midfield in the 4-4-2 defensively. They had a lot of different responsibilities and kind of the shifting shape that Nashville played in, and they executed those essentially perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, that allowed Nashville SC to get out and, and use a lot of energy running after these uh, Seattle Sounders players. And it really, I don't know if it was necessarily just because Seattle didn't expect it, but either way, they did not handle it well throughout. Um, Nashville had 26 defensive actions in the Seattle half. And that's to say nothing of intercepting passes just shy of the midfield stripe. It seemed like time after time, Seattle would say, okay, we're going to try and break this press by passing it on the ground. And then all of a sudden, Anibal Godoy is on the ball and in, in the middle of nowhere. There's not a Seattle player near him. He's just intercepting a pass. So it's something that Nashville, did, again, did differently, but did extremely well. And if it seems like Tim has good insight on that, first of all, Tim, you're a smart guy. But second, Thank you. you asked Gary Smith, you're welcome, about the tactical approach. Here's what Gary had to say after the match. With the attacking talent that you guys have, that it's Anibal that gets the goal, um, what does that say about, I guess, maybe the different ways that you guys can score? And, and what did you see developing on that play, first with Teal's attempt and then Randall's cross? Uh, I mean, in tight games, in, in you know, very well-matched games, um, there's never going to be loads of, of clear-cut chances. Uh, the fact that we limited them to two efforts on goal here um, in, in, their, in, you know, in their own stadium is remarkable, really, the way the guys have, have gone about this. Um, so I, I didn't ever expect that there were going to be lots of moments, but just hope that there might be one that we could fall home, and we have. Um, Till's initial effort, I think, you know, he didn't quite get hold of. Um, and and it, I think, it, if I remember rightly, rebounded nicely and was recycled out to Randall. And he made a terrific choice. I mean, he could have, he could have got excited and, uh, you know, tried to make the effort his own. But he, he finds a wonderful area. And, and a, a player that you might not expect to be coming in on that back post goes in. And, and keeps his nerve. Um, but, you know, you normally find in these real competitive games that it's just that one moment, you know, and, and tonight's been us. All right, Tim, I'll work in a question from at Stooks Be Hugging. Thank you for the warm embrace, Stooks. He, he, he do be hugging too. Good. Hey, you know, everybody's be, be, everybody be hugging after, <laughs> after the win against Seattle. That's a bridge too far. Uh, he asks... <laughs> Do you think we will see the same personnel in formation week two as we just did in week one? How much of it is Gary Smith doing Gary Smith things versus getting the best players on the pitch due to the current roster construction? 
think week two versus week one, it probably won't be the same thing. Um, we'll talk about this with our guest, Jamie Watson, but Minnesota's strengths are really different than Seattle's strengths. Mm-hmm. So the, the precise implementation of what, what Nashville is going to do to try to beat those people is going to be different. Uh, the loons want to be patient and build up and find perfect opportunities rather than work quickly and, and kind of connect and transition to make a high volume of opportunities. I think philosophically, you'll see some of the same sort of aggression from time to time this year. It's really another kind of addition to the, the toolkit that Nashville has where they can now press with a little bit more of a, a cohesive pressing philosophy and add that to the, maybe the mid block and the, in the uh, low block that Nashville has, has been kind of known for over the past couple of years. Yeah. The beautiful thing about Gary Smith and, and so many coaches in the modern game, but, but, you know, Gary, a great example of this, he's not married to one way of playing anymore, not married to one formation by my count. That's the seventh different formation he has used in his two years in major league soccer here. You know, formations sometimes worth the paper they're written on. Yeah. But... I mean, I, I, I kind of take issue with some of how the, the formation is being described because it okay. was so, it was so fluid in terms of what that front three was allowed to do. But certainly, you know, again, as we've mentioned, the way it was implemented was, was probably unique to how Nashville has played ever before. Yeah. You'll hear Jeremy talk about the, the consistency of implementation of Minnesota's formation. They love a four, two, three, one. Next up is that Minnesota team that earned a strong draw in Philadelphia. One, one was the final. They took the lead courtesy of Robin Ludd before Philly equalized right before halftime. Actually the back and forth kind of mimicked what Nashville did in Philadelphia in that, uh, the conference semifinal Nashville went ahead, Philly equalized. And uh, then of course it didn't go to penalties, uh, mercifully. Um, but, uh, the solid backbone, combined with the dynamic attacking group. And this club really has has come a long way, Tim, from its modest expansion start. Nashville is probably the model now for a a team that's not going to spin the farm. But Minnesota, a good model for that slower build and, and turning a franchise slowly but surely into something relevant. Yeah, I mean, before there was FC Cincinnati, Minnesota was kind of the poster child for don't build your expansion franchise this way. Um, long may FC Cincinnati's wooden spoon reign continue, but Minnesota United wisely figured out how to turn it around. And we'll talk a, a quite a bit with Jamie. Jamie had incredible insight on it. Obviously he's a guy who uh, didn't quite make that transition to MLS with that club as it was uh, his career was winding down after knee injuries as the reason for those. We didn't touch on it in the interview. So I want to be clear it's because of injury that he ended up retiring, but um, it is, it is a, a situation where Adrian Heath has really been able to, kind of implement his philosophy. It took a little bit longer than Loon's fans might have wanted, but it's been exactly uh, kind of the outcome that you might want to see for a club that's not going to spend a lot. Minnesota has made the playoffs each of the last three seasons after missing out in their first two. A couple more quick facts about them. They finished fifth in the West a year ago, lost in round one in Portland, of course, the eventual Western Conference champions. Minnesota had the best home defense in the West last year. They lost just two of their last 15 at Allianz Field after dropping their first two to start the season. And in fact, they've never won a home opener at Allianz Field. They've played three times there. They played their first couple of years at the University of Minnesota's uh, turfed football stadium. And uh, 0-2-1 at Allianz Field in home openers. And finally, Tim, as we've referenced many times, a well-known Nashville soccer name spent several seasons with the club in its NASL days, and that would be Jamie Watson, who we happen to have on our show today. Yeah, he's one of the good dudes in the game, and Nashville's like super lucky to have him on the TV crew. He's a guy who's knowledgeable about the game. Of course, he, he played at a very high level. We did not. Um, but he also just genuinely loves this league. He would know a ton about every single team in MLS, even if it weren't his job. The dude just loves to, to, to eat this stuff up and, and take in everything that he can. 
Jamie Watson is in his third year as Nashville Soccer Club's television analyst. Does a great job on the calls along with Tony Husband and Kelly Glendinning. And we are pleased that he's with us today, fresh off the plane from Seattle, just a few hours after that trip. And so, Jamie, I guess that's where we'll start. How significant was that win for Nashville Soccer Club at Lumen Field? Well, you'll know just as well. Sorry, I drove my eyes as you mentioned. We got in so late. Um, you'll know just as full well how important that wind was. You were on the call with your brother, and that was probably a cool moment for the bowling brothers there. Um, but for the team, it was a massive win. Um, I think that every time they go on the road for the rest of the season, no matter what, you'll always be able to refer back to this match, right? Your first match of the season. Uh, your ability to go in uh, a difficult environment. The elements were not kind whatsoever. And you were playing against a very good team and you were able to tactically win the battle and then also uh, take the game's best chance and finish it and get all three points. So it's, uh, it's a really, really important win for this team. And it sets them off on the right foot for this eight game stretch. When you look at kind of what it does for the team from a mental perspective is how much of it is, is what it gives this Nashville SC team in terms of confidence and how much of it is sending a message to the rest of the West. Like, Hey, we're going to come and play when we come to your house. Yeah. I think that the team proved really well last year that they can go on the road and they can get whatever type mm-hmm. of result is needed. Um, I think I saw a stat um, after the game and the press release that goes out um, that said the club all time is, I believe 10, 11, and 12 on the road. Uh, it's uh, an incredibly impressive remark. We talked to Mike Jacobs in the pregame show, the general manager for Nashville SC, and he told us that based on all the stats and analytics that they ran um, last year, it was proven that only 25% of the time does a team go on the road in Major League Soccer and get maximum points. goes mm-hmm. to show how difficult it is. And I think of, of the... F- five major sports in this country, this was actually the hardest sport to win on the road in. And I think arguably just from the eye test and what you know about Seattle and Lumen Field and the support they have, Seattle is in that top tier of difficult places to go. Yet Nashville were able to do it. So confidence has to be riding high. Um, And anytime they go anywhere from now, they know if we could do it in Lumen Field on a rainy night on Sunday, you can do it anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. The old Stoke line. Um, <laughs> you get it. <laughs> so I, that was actually the open to my broadcast last night. I said, they've done it for two years. Can they do it on a rainy night in Seattle? Great and minds think alike. They did it. They could. That's right. Alike. Now I'm really proud to know that was on your mind, too. <laughs> um, so, so as a former player, then, I have to ask you, you know, last year Nashville had the opportunity with so many early home matches to really establish that attacking identity and, and grow from year one into a team that was very expansive. They don't have that same opportunity away from home. In those first eight, they've got to, to work through those identity questions while playing in front of those hostile environments. How crucial is it then to get one under their belt? I know it was just one goal, but they held their own in the attack against Seattle as well, outshot them for most of the match until the late flurry. What does that mean as a player for your confidence now going to a place like Minnesota and beyond? Yeah, it's so important. And one of the biggest reasons I think Nashville – were able to hit the ground running last night was because when you look at the lineup that they started with tonight, or I'm sorry, tonight, yeah, last night, you uh, you look at it and you say the familiarity between the group that ended the season in Philadelphia versus that lineup, 
I believe there were nine of the same starters. Uh, Tony husband dropped that knowledge right there in the middle of the broadcast. I thought that was, that was excellent. And it just made sense, right? Because Gary Smith and his staff, Steve Guppy, Matt Pickens, Koski Kimura, they're not teaching a new system to new players in preseason, right? They're able to go, right. We're going to work on this picture or this idea today. And we're going to draw back to the match in Kansas city last year or the matchup at home versus Austin last year. Do you remember this scenario? And you instantly got a vast majority of the guys on the roster and most of the starters that go, yes, I remember that exactly. Okay. What did we do? Well, we did this. All right. We need to do this now. And it's just, building off of ideas you're so far down the curriculum you're not learning a new syllabus every year right you're literally just building on where you left off so it's the sort of continuation and while most teams uh, on week one I, I look at Philadelphia as we're talking about them that was a completely different Philadelphia mm-hmm. union in game one against Minnesota they looked so disjointed and disconnected and pulled apart whereas at the end of the season they were incredibly difficult to break down at Subaru Park, right? So that's where you start to see the differences and why Nashville were able to get off to a good start is because they're just on the building blocks of what they've already established over these two years. And I think now in year three, the mindset is completely different when Nashville's on the schedule and you're going, wait a minute, this is a a very, very difficult game, whether it's in Nashville or at the opponent's home place. You mentioned just to ten two changes to that lineup. Obviously one of them was forced. Dave was unavailable. Dave Romney was unavailable for that playoff game. The other one was the introduction of, of Sean Davis, a guy who is, is a new player to this club. What did you see in terms of how Nashville was able to integrate him into the lineup and, and what that kind of three man midfield meant for what Nashville was able to do against a Seattle team that I think uh, most people did not expect to have Nashville dominate in midfield. Well, I think first and foremost, I'll, I'll get to the thing about uh, Sean, the question about Sean, um, mm-hmm. to the second part of that, because the last thing you just ended with there, Tim, was so smart and very astute. Thank you, Jim. Tacti- yeah, yeah, you know the game very well. <laughs> I, I love following your, your work and your analysis of it all. Tactically, Gary Smith put on a masterclass mm-hmm. last night. I don't think anybody from Seattle, coaching staff-wise or player-wise, expected to see what they saw from this group. Uh, and it really caused a lot of problems. The three players in the middle, you mentioned Sean Davis, we'll dive a little bit deeper into him in just a moment, but Godoy, McCarty, and Davis were so good at clogging the middle. Randall Leal, so many points in time, came over and added a fourth person in the mm-hmm. midfield that where Seattle's strengths lie, that was really clogged up. It was really stagnant for them because there was no space to be able to play and they were left trying to go out wide and try to play through Nuhu and, and try to whip services in. And that plays right in the strength of Walker Zimmerman <laughs> and Dave Romney, right? So tactically, it was a, a brilliant performance and game plan from the staff. Now, Sean Davis into that, his inclusion, I think one made that formation and that tactic possible, but his willingness to run and his work rate I loved hearing the story that when Mike Jacobs and his staff went to go first make their pitch to Sean as a free agent, they put a lot of stats in front of them and analytics in front of them. And most of them were absolutely in the weeds, these abbreviations of things that, you know, balls recovered and forward passes played after recovery that it looks like the alphabet, <laughs> right? But but in soccer terms and in the center midfielder world and cerebral way that they think, 
it's all the things that sort of make the difference between a good center midfielder and a great mm-hmm. center midfielder. And Sean Davis possesses a lot of those, his ability to win the ball, keep possession, his ground that he covers. A lot of times it's East to West. It's not necessarily as much North and South. He has that in this game. And we saw it in, in little glimpses, but for the most part, he covers so much ground and then you get some really cerebral smart players next to him, like McCarty and Godoy. And those players are able to just play off of each other. And they did it brilliantly. Um, John's first 89 minutes for the club, give you a lot of things to get excited about. And it showed a lot of the strengths and reasons as to why he was somebody that Nashville really sought after. While it is always a pleasure to have you on, and that is certainly the case today. It's especially so today because you also played in Minnesota for several seasons. You know Adrian Heath extremely well. Don't know if you guys have had any dialogue leading into this game yet coming up this weekend. I know you've been all playing for most of the night. But I wonder, what do you think he is thinking as he watches this Nashville team go to Seattle and get the job done? How will he have watched that Nashville team and prepare for this club this weekend? I think he'll see what everybody else saw, uh, a team that is – not somebody you like to see on the schedule because you know, it's going to be a difficult game. You know, chances are going to be few far in between. Um, I thought Minnesota looked very good in their first game and, and they've got an exciting attacking group. If you got Fragapane, you got Amaria, you got Unu. There's so many good players in that front group and they've got the ability to kind of change it around. I think that they, their strength lies in the attack and their ability to be creative and go forward um, but also Nashville is so organized and so hard to break down. They stifle that creativity. Look, they were able to stifle Ladero. There were uh, Morris last night, Joao Paulo, like a lot of these players that have found creative freedom mm-hmm. over the course of the past couple of years, weren't able to find it yesterday. Nashville looked to try to go and replicate that. So I haven't gotten a chance to talk to Adrian yet. Uh, I'll be very excited to see him. He was gracious enough. He did an interview with us um, two seasons ago when they came to Nashville Mm -hmm. because of COVID protocols, wasn't able to see him, but be excited to see him. But uh, we'll probably be more excited after the game to see each other before it'll be all business, all dialed in. And um, it should be a very, very good matchup. And it's their home opener. That's an X factor, right? That, that does play into it. It's never easy to play a team in their home opener. It will be uh, not particularly warm. Um, So there's a lot of adverse elements, again, to another matchup for Nashville, but uh, they should be flying high after yesterday's win in Seattle. Several years ago, I was talking with Joe Nathan, the Twins closer, when I was back in my sports days. And uh, and I asked him, you guys are building an outdoor stadium. Target Field was under construction. What's that going to be like in October? He said, October is not the problem. March is the problem. October is chilly just about everywhere. In March, it is still going to be frigid. What can Nashville expect from the experience, not maybe weather, but from the atmosphere yeah. uh, in a more metaphorical sense at Allianz Field? Seems like just an awesome place to watch or play a game. Yeah, it's a fantastic environment, Allianz Field. Uh, a little bit on the smaller size attendance-wise, 19,400, I believe. Um, but they pack it out. Their waiting list for season ticket holders is enormous as well. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a popular ticket in town. It will be packed to the brim and they're Minnesotan. So it doesn't matter what the weather is. They'll turn out. We saw that with the national team where Walker Zimmerman got that great goal. Um, They, they provide an excellent atmosphere and soundtrack to the game. And I am very excited to, to see this matchup because Adrian loves to play a four, two, three, one. That's the formation that, um that's his bread and butter and what i'm really interested to see is what gary smith does because i got a chance to ask him this and last week and i was like 
has it surprised you how much you've evolved as a manager, the ability to go to a four, two, three, one, to do a, what well, kind of looks like a four, four, two, if you need to three, four, three, five in the back, whatever it needs to be, or the, you know, three or the, the four, one, three, two, we saw last night. I'm like, there's so much change in what you're able to do with this group. Um, has it surprised you how much you've evolved? And he's like, well, it's not about me. You know, your typical Gary, right? He kind of plays off the, uh, the about him aspect of it. But he's like, but it has been nice to have the quality and caliber players and the player profile that can adjust and can just pick it up and go, right, this is what we need to achieve this week. Um, with Minnesota, they, they like to live and die by the 4-2-3-1. And they've had an immense amount of success over the last couple of years. Uh, they love to have the double pivot. So I'll be interested to see how that works and can Reynoso in that 10 spot, can he find space in there? Um, is there going to be three in the midfield again? If it is, then it could be a three V three in there. Well, then you've got to get your outside backs involved. Last week they missed Roma Mentaner and Chase Gasper. That's where they get their experience and their service from and their number overloads. They love to get three V twos on the outside and Adrian, having played in this system, he loves to be able to go side to side until somebody gets lazy from the other team and they don't go over there, and then you get your numbers overload, and that's when you attack. But the problem is I'm not sure too many players on Nashville and Gary Smith's <laughs> side get lazy. So it'll be interesting to see <laughs> if and when there is a breakdown, how Minnesota tried to exploit that. Yeah, I think that was one of the things with uh, Sunday night's game is, is the energy that Nashville showed from the opening whistle. Obviously, we've seen this team be very – um, I guess disciplined defensively. I think they were a little more energetic than we've seen, and especially pressing higher up the pitch. Is that something that against Minnesota United is is something that would work against them, or does that four two three one kind of play a little bit more into the maybe sit back a little bit and, and do that mid block sort of thing that that Gary's teams have maybe a little bit more of a reputation for? You know, it's it's interesting because I think the two keys of the game I had last night were clog the middle and quick in transition. And when they did clog the middle and they were able to win it, Hani Mukhtar did a brilliant job of finding space in behind both the combination of Jao Paulo and uh, Obed Vargas. By the way, 16 years old. I thought the kid was fantastic at 16. He did a really, really good job. Although he did get a little bit of a crash course, though, into the defensive <laughs> side of things because yeah. Hani Mukhtar was able to find a lot of space that's the little side note. That's what, that's the difference in honey, right? Like everybody knows how good he is yet. He constantly finds himself open in dangerous spots because his ability to just get lost is next level. And sometimes getting lost is just letting everybody run and then you stop. And then they've run themselves out of position, drops the shoulder is able to get a shot off. Um, so Minnesota likes to play with two in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Last week it was Dotson and Ariaga. So it'll be interesting to see um, what they do. It could have been Will Trap on a different day. Right. Um, can those players account for Hani Mukhtar? Randall Leal, his, his ability and his involvement cutting in caused a lot of problems defensively and ultimately what led to the goal for Nashville against Seattle. Wonderful entry pass to Teal Bunbury, who almost got his first on his debut, but his ability – to just bait Kellen Rowe in and then beat Kellen Rowe so easily 80th minute and then just deliver that teasing ball. The goal happens because Godoy, excuse me, gets in the box as well. And you've got Mukhtar, Sapong, and Godoy. They created a three on two. And Alex Roldan started out near Mukhtar. Mukhtar's little movement to cut back away from the goal. Roldan sort of takes a half step and pushes him. But when he does, now he's not near Mukhtar. 
and he's certainly not near Godoy. So when you can get those overloads, if you can find those space in between the midfield um, two that like to sit in, that's where you can find some success. So tactically, I think this will be a very entertaining matchup, and I'm intrigued to see what Gary's going to do. One thing that's led to Nashville's success and is such a young expansion club is that seamless personnel building strategy. You know, Mike and Gary are so close. The front office communicates very well and seems to have similar visions and priorities for the club. You've started to see that in Minnesota as well, as Adrian Heath has assumed a bit more authority over some of the personnel selection. Uh, what stamp has he put on this team as he's able not just to tactically lead them on match days, but also help build the club behind the scenes? What footprint have you seen him leave on this Minnesota group? Watson uh, work. Uh, Mark, I believe, is titled technical director. I think he, um, those two are very brilliant soccer minds and they're aligned in their thought process. I think where the failures came early on for Minnesota was it wasn't always aligned in the player process of signing players. Mm -hmm. I think there were some disjointed elements to that. But I think when they started to streamline the process of mimicking what Nashville does right in the sense of saying we all need to be on board in this or we're all not on board on this one of the two you can't have fragmented beliefs and thoughts on a player because if you do and look beauty is in the eye of the beholder one coach can absolutely love you and one person can say that that's that's a player that isn't for me um as soon as they started doing that I think that's where they they sort of hit that curve where they started to find that success and sustained success um Adrian loves a player that works hard very much like Gary uh, because I think Adrian was that kind of player that he was, you know, Hey, he was five foot seven, five foot seven and a half. So it rounds up to five, eight on a good day, you know? And so he realized it wasn't about just being physically better than everybody. You had to work to create your opportunities. And so he wants that in his players. So you'll get a team that works very hard. Um, and so it should be an exciting match. I'm really, really looking forward to this because I think the mindset of the players inherently on Minnesota will be different because of the result that Nashville got in Seattle. Um, everybody's human. You're going to look at that result and you're going to watch the tape and you're going to see the performance. You go, not only did they win, they were comprehensive in the performance. Not all times were they dominant, right? Seattle did have more possession, right. but that was also the game plan, wasn't it? To say there's times when you can have Ariaga pass to Yamar and Yamar goes out wide uh, to roll on. And then it goes back around to the other side with new. Okay. You had more <laughs> possession, but you had it in right. the exact spot that we wanted you to have it in. And so anybody that watched the game, even from the eye test will go. It's a good game plan. Nashville put together and they, they pulled it off and then they took their chance to get the win. Jamie, were you hoping that your return to Minnesota would not come in the month of March? <laughs> <laughs> I would be lying to you if I said it. <laughs> I'm totally happy. Look, summertime in Minnesota is one of the most beautiful places. Actually, I would have said, guys, if we could have gone late August, early September, when you get the leaves changing, it's gorgeous, wonderful. I mean, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, wonderful people, great, great time there. So I'm, I'm happy to be going back, but I'm, I'm really proud to get to do it with Nashville because um, it's, it's really fun to be associated with the team everybody's so proud of what nashville's been able to achieve and by default i'm like this tiny like microscopic piece of the puzzle um which is you know like way off in the distance a puzzle piece that like if you didn't have you'd still be able to clearly see the picture and you don't even actually need it um but no it's uh it's it's so much fun to just get to be along with this journey help get to tell the story with 
Tony, with Kelly, Wes, with yourself. We're going to have Eddie come on um, and join you as well whenever Will's not doing it. It's it's so much fun. So I'm so excited to get to go there and proudly get to have the Nashville Crest on in that stadium and, and just get to hopefully call a really, really good soccer game, which, by the way, is a big one, a six-pointer, another mm-hmm. Western Conference matchup. So um, huge matchup this weekend. I cannot wait for it. Just me. I'm going to be cold. If that's what you want to hear, yes. <laughs> softened up since I've lived here. I like. I it think the fir- I think the first time I met you face to face, Jamie, you were complaining about how cold it was in Nashville for your Texas blood. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thinned out really quickly being here, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so you won't be the only one, of course, wearing gold that that is uh, off the field. Supporters get a chance this year to get to know the Western Conference. We saw you know dozens of them in Seattle. You know, there's going to be a group going up to Minnesota as well. Uh, so. As the man who played in St. Paul for several years, make some recommendations here. What should supporters do? This is what we couldn't do the past two years, right? During the, the heart of the pandemic, we're like, if you go, great. But we're not going to like invite you to go explore the city when we don't, you know, people have different risk aversion. That's fine. Now, if they want to get out and about, where should they go? You know, the coolest thing, by the way, too, is we're talking about, you know, um, the back line on the road and, and seeing all the fans um, there in Seattle. I got a chance to be a tourist just like them. And I walked around um, Pike Place Sunday morning. I saw a couple of fans I got a chance to chat with. I believe it was Hannah and um, I want to say oh, Dan, I think it was. They were so nice. Uh, got a chance to meet them. We got a chance to chat about the game. Saw several supporters walking by. It was like this mutual, like, you got Nashville on. I got Nashville on. Like, let's go Nashville tonight, you know, and it should be fun. Um, that was really cool to see. And when the players scored, when Godoy scored, you saw it and point to Leal because he knew that Leal made the goal. But then you saw, and it wasn't choreographed, it wasn't orchestrated, you saw every field player run over to the section where the supporters were. Guys, I can tell you as a player, it's amazing to score a goal. It's an awesome feeling. But it goes times a thousand when you can do it and celebrate with people that are losing their minds just like you. That is the best feeling in the world, greatest feeling in the world. And so that road support and that commitment, that was, that was not easy, right? It's one of the furthest trips that we'll have this season. It was rainy. It was not nice. It was, it was tough conditions, but the commitment of that, I think um, showed in the players and their appreciation for that. So now as they go to, to St. Paul um, and if you stay in St. Paul or Minneapolis, you're for a treat, uh, wonderful people. If you can just bring an extra layer of, of, of clothes and jacket, it will be cold, but uh, man, if you're in St. Paul, go to Grand Ave, my favorite place, Brasa, wonderful restaurant. Not a, not a free ad here, um, but uh, I, that's that's certainly it. If you want pizza right next door, there's Punch Pizza, uh, some really good um, food. They they're they're very much like Nashville, and they try not to be too commercial in their food establishments. They they support a lot of local places, um, so you'll find a lot of good hidden gems along the way. Those are my two favorite in St. Paul. Um, in Minneapolis, there's a, there's a really good chance to, uh, to go out. Nicolet mall is a great area downtown, uh, a lot of good food, uh, for their Saturday. I don't know if the farmer's market is going to have a wonderful farmer's market as well. It's just a vibrant city and, and it doesn't shut down when it snows. You guys will know this with, with kids. If it snows here, the school calls you and they say, Hey, it's Sunday night. We're going to close down, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday there in Minnesota. If they're snowing, it's like, Hey, Bus schedule's right on time. We'll see you tomorrow morning. So <laughs> even if it's even if it's bad weather, um, you'll still be able to go out and enjoy the, the city wherever you're staying. But um, it's a great time, great atmosphere. The supporters are very welcoming. The Wonderwall, 
do a great job of understanding um, the fine line of um, the 90 minutes that you're there. It's you versus us, but the other 22 and a half hours of the day around that 90 minutes, they are very welcoming and very supportive and inclusive. And so um, if you're one of the fans that are there, have a great time, enjoy a great food selection in the stadium and a really, really good atmosphere. I remember one of the, I think maybe the first or second year that I moved to Nashville, there was a forecast of snow. So they canceled school for the entire week. And it was like 70 all week. It was great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just shut it down. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. As a Tennessee uh, resident who grew up here, it was awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. As a parent of, of uh, students now, not so great sometimes. <laughs> More of a challenge. Yes. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be uh, following your TV call. Looking forward to seeing it on Saturday. And uh, thanks for taking the time after a long uh, overnight trip back from Seattle. What a privilege it was to get to do it and be there and see in person. So we'll see you guys soon. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thanks to Jamie for, for stopping by. He's he's so full of stories. And he told some great ones about Adrian Heath the last time we had him on. We stayed away from from the you know long rides, beers on the bus stories of playing for Adrian back in the day. Nonetheless, I liked what Jamie had to say about the soccer culture that's building in Minnesota on and off the pitch. We obviously know, kind of, we can observe what happens on the pitch for sure, but kind of that inside knowledge of how it happens off the pitch is something that obviously you and I don't have a whole lot of insight into. And of course the on pitch stuff, he, he knows in a heck of a lot more detail than we ever will. So it's, it's always great to hear from the experts in the game. And I think some of the comparisons between Nashville SC and Minnesota United, and, and more importantly, maybe the differences between these clubs are, are something that he has a level of knowledge about that, that basically nobody else possibly could. Tim, we have mail. Woohoo! a lot of mail. So I guess it's time for the mailbag. Logan Elliott, a regular uh, letter writer to us, says a few things stood out in that Seattle win, but most what stood out most to him was was probably the most intense pressing that he's seen from this Nashville side. Is this a new wrinkle we can expect to see this season or more of a surprise tool in the tool shed to keep Seattle off guard? And you referenced that pressing uh, earlier in our discussion, Tim. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a regular occurrence, but it's, it's definitely something the club has the ability to do when they go against a club like Seattle. Uh, the, the pressing is is obviously not what Nashville is known for. It is not what Gary Smith has historically been known for. So it's going to be something that is used occasionally. And um, I think some of the, the heaviest pressing even happened without Alex Mwil on the pitch. And Alex Mwil is a guy whose game is, is basically tailor-made to press. So when you add him into it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how intense Nashville SC can get. Stashville, a good question. There's no way to review the result last night. It's anything but positive, obviously. But he says, I'm still a bit concerned about the tactics. It was a master class in how to go into a hostile environment, reduce risk, and hopefully get a result. But that's what got us 18 draws in 21. More specifically, that's what left a lot of points on the table in 21. At what point does Gary have enough confidence in his club to open things up on the road in big games? I'll, I'll give a couple notes here first. I think, number one, what left so many points on the table in 21 more than anything was set-piece defense. Yeah, it, exactly. it wasn't the approach. It was that the approach wasn't executed to a T at some point, especially at home at some points, and, and that, that allowed Nashville to concede a little more softly, in, in fact. Number two, I think this is always going to be your plan going to a place like Seattle. In the rain, tough turf, one of the toughest teams at home in this league. You're not going to see anybody really go in and try to play totally wide open. You saw Cincinnati try it in their first ever match, and they scored really early on and then gave up yeah. four, five. Uh, I think, you know, I wouldn't judge a tactical approach for the whole season based on the one game. Um, but even if Nashville is a little cagier on the road again this year, that's Major League Soccer sometimes, more so than, than you're going to see in, say, the English Premier League. 
Yeah, I, th- I also think that while it it ultimately ended up against Seattle being kind of a risk mitigation concept, um, a high press isn't necessarily going to be that way. Yes, you can get your press broken and, and teams can get free runs at your back line. That's a, that's a risk right there. But um, obviously Nashville knew that Seattle didn't want to play that way, so it worked to their advantage. And I think that that's the, the main thing here is that Nashville knew how Seattle was going to play and came up with a game plan to counteract that specific opponent. So I think when you see what Gary Smith is, has been able to do, like you mentioned, it's most of the failures for this Nashville SC team have been a combination of, of maybe a tactical failure, but it's also pretty much always required some sort of personnel failure too. And last year, most of those came on set pieces. I think yeah, I wouldn't worry about, you know, kind of falling into a bunch of draws based on what we saw against Seattle. Now, there will probably still be a bunch of draws this year. I hate to admit it, but I don't yeah. think what we saw on the field at Lumen is is necessarily something that that adds to that worry. Yeah, and I mean those eighteen draws still led to a third place finish too. So if if there were fifteen, sixteen, a Listen, lot of draws. Don't again. make me go on my tiebreaker rant again. <laughs> I know, I know. Should have been second. Uh, Wyatt Loba, what's going on? He didn't start. And he wasn't even the first sub. Wyatt asks, should we be worried about a record signing player? I don't think so. Not yet. Again, one match, you know, to start the season um, is not necessarily an indicator uh, of of everything. But it does indicate, once again, what we know, which is that Gary Smith's currency is trust. And he wanted Sapong's veteran leadership on the road. And then Bunbury was the first attacking sub in for CJ, that like-for-like change. Bunbury probably a better fit for what Nashville wanted to do at that point in the match. A savvy veteran who could, you know, hold up play and, and possess the ball and hold on at that point for a draw that of course then became holding on for a win. I, Smith has said all season that, that Loeb was starting to resemble the player, Tim, that this club expected. And, and the official stance of this podcast, or at least of me, of half of this podcast is that patience should ultimately yield a reward with Ake Loba. Yeah, I'll, I'll endorse that. It's the official stance of the pod. All right. Um, but Write yeah, it down. I, you know, I, I agree. I, I beat the drum a lot. It just doesn't, bother me that, that Loba doesn't see a ton of the field yet. And that's not because I, I think that who cares who sees the field It's because he's going to see the field eventually. If he's the player that Nashville believes him to be, um, whether it's the game plan, which I think was a big part of it against Seattle, he's not a guy who's going to go out there and just run his tail off. And that's what Nashville needed out of its forwards <laughs> against Seattle for the reasons that we just mentioned. Um, you know, we've seen ha- that Smith wants to utilize him. And we've seen that Smith over the course of last season increased his his usage of Loba. Um, would I like to see more of him? Yeah. But would Nashville have been able to press the same way if he had been on the field? Probably not. And, you know, again, uh, do, you, do you remember Darko Milicic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He played for the Pistons. He was called the Human Victory Cigar. He was like the number three overall <laughs> NBA draft pick and basically never played other than the last couple minutes of blowouts. <laughs> if, if Lobo were getting that type of playing time, I'd be a little bit more worried. But he's getting a, a fair amount of playing time, and I think it will increase, especially when matchups are better suited to him. On to Eric Miller. A couple questions about him. Stukes giving hugs again. Uh, with the departure of Johnston and without the addition of another right back, how much fan criticism, warranted or not, is Eric Miller going to be a lightning rod for? Chris Hole echoes that. That he says we've gone on record saying Miller gets more hate than he deserves, and Chris agrees with us. Good move, Chris. Uh, last night was rough, though. Chris says as his turnover led directly to Seattle's best shot on goal. Did this one game have any effect on your opinions? I, I do still think he gets an unfair amount of criticism. Yeah, that was one bad touch last night. I think also we seize on those mistakes when in his first two games in Nashville gold, he made a couple mistakes that kind of set maybe his reputation unfairly. Uh, he made a mistake in Miami last year. The fact that I can name his mistakes, yeah. I can't do that with any other player. You know, it's, it's, it's so rare on this back line, but also we're kind of primed to see those because 
he set that. He primed that pump early on, I think, in his time there. I think Miller, more than, more often than not, he, he rarely provides exclamation points, but almost always finishes the sentence. And I think for matches last night, he's a, he's a great option to have around. His job last night was to mark Jordan Morris and to keep Morris out of dangerous situations. Morris did not take a shot last night, Monday, uh, Sunday night. He only touched the ball 14 times. That's the fewest of any Seattle starter. That's a direct result of the defense that Miller played. So, you know, look at that mistake if you want. It was one. Leo Chu got in and, and had a good opportunity based on it. But I think excessive criticism of Miller is, is probably an, an indictment and not speaking to, to either one of you guys, but more broadly of maybe our ability, and I just did it too, to, to inability to see beyond those noteworthy mistakes early in his in his time there. Maybe three noteworthy mistakes in two seasons of soccer. And it's just kind of the reputation he's gotten. I think it's just a bit unfair. Yeah, I, I will say, I think his performance against Seattle, you know, other than the, the, the high profile mistake um, left something to be desired. I, I think it was kind of the caliber of performance that fans have kind of given him the reputation for having, even if his performances typically haven't been that bad. The question will be whether the criticism amplifies with a notably bad performance, or if it just kind of stays where it has been. And, and maybe the performance is a little bit closer to, the, to what the perception of the performance is. Um, either way, it's just a one game sample size so far this season. I wouldn't you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. to say the least. Um, reinforcements seem likely at right back, no matter what. If Eric Miller came out and scored four goals against Seattle, I still think there's a right back reinforcement on the way. So I don't think it necessarily matters too much, but I guess to answer, to answer Stukes's primary question. Uh, yes, he's going to remain a lightning rod. And I think at this point, there's not a whole lot he or anybody can do about it. Totally fair. John Mueller, does the week one win at Seattle adjust expectations for the season opening road trip? He said, I imagine most had penciled last night's game as one point or maybe even zero. And I don't have any insight into this, but I'm going to guess Mike Jacobs has told us he writes a number by every game, right? But at the beginning of the year, they get together and they say, Mm -hmm. here's the expectation. I bet that expectation was zero in the front office as well. I mean, the expectation is always to win. They always want to go for the three points, but in terms of the expectation is not to win. The goal is to win. The goal is to win. The expectation probably was to, you know, if you, if you could get a result, then awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So I said eight points over eight matches on this road trip. So that would mean just a win and two draws away now in the remaining seven matches. And, I certainly think Nashville can surpass that. I think that does adjust my expectation to get the three, not just mathematically makes it easier, but also because maybe the toughest road trip of all of them, um, they they were able to earn the points. You still have to go to Minnesota, to Columbus, to SKC, to Galaxy. I think all four of those you'd be happy to take home a point. I think Dallas and Salt Lake, one point feels reasonable, but three is definitely achievable. And then if you expect three out of San Jose team, that's a bit disheveled, but they can score six and give up six on a given night. You never really know. So best case, you get three against San Jose, you get draws and all the others. That would be nine more points. That's not best case scenario, but that's, you know, a, a solid scenario that would give you 12 in your first eight. and would be a heck of an opening grind. More realistically, Tim, I think there's going to be a stinker or two. This is MLS. It's a hard grind, especially as those games stack on top of each other. So I think of those, um, of those four games where you're happy with a point, you know, if you count three of them as, as losses, you take one of your two where a point feels reasonable and, and call that a loss too. Just just for the sake of argument. You beat San Jose, still not a given. Take draws in the other games. I know well, I'm, I'm running all notes. kinds of math. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. Basically, that the important <laughs> part was that you end up then with six more points on the rest of this trip, and you end up with a nine-point road trip. And even that would not be a bad way to open the season. So do my expectations adjust upward a little bit? Yeah, they do. But the the difficulty of what Nashville has to do is in no way diminished. And they could show up against Minnesota and, and lose 
you know, two nil and, and take two shots. And I think we'd all say that's major league soccer. Sometimes yeah. it's not an indictment of what this team is. Yeah. It doesn't change my expectations for the remaining seven games. You know, if you had asked me a week ago, what I thought was going to happen in those games, you asked me today, I think pretty much the same thing. Uh, the difference is that there's either two or three additional points as a starting point. Um, you know, I think for some of the reasons that I mentioned at the top, catching a worn down Seattle team by surprise isn't something that is going to happen again, especially because Nashville now has beaten Seattle. Other teams are going to treat Nashville differently when they come mm-hmm. to the to their houses. So, yes, uh, I think it's actually potentially going to get even a little bit tougher. Maybe you can increment the, uh, the expectations downward a little bit, but you're starting from three points higher or, or two points higher potentially than what you might have thought. Travis, forward question. Dax Fountain of Youth? I think the Fountain of Youth for Dax McCarty, not that he's old, he's younger than we are, um, <laughs> is is playing occasionally in that position where he sits back at the at the base of the midfield and right in front of or even sometimes between the center backs. Uh, his 11 possession gain led this team, but, but also sitting in front of the back line has the potential to save his legs just a little bit. He's still able to use his vision to Nashville's advantage and see the field and distribute into midfield or further up. But Tim, I think it's a it's a really good fit for him. I don't know if it's a role that he plays, you know, a majority of matches this year, but but it is a way to get all three of those midfielders on the pitch at the same time and and use Dax's talent still. Finding ways to get guys like Dax minutes without wearing them down is important. Finding ways to get your best 11 players on the field, probably three of whom are Dax, Anibal, and Sean, mm-hmm. is going to be important. Most important of all, however, is when you said Dax Fountain of Youth, I noticed that it was five syllables and it should either be the opening line or the closing line of a haiku. If we have any poets out there who would like to turn Dax Fountain of Youth into part of a haiku, please feel free to do so. Are there artists in our midst? We will find out. <laughs> Tweet at us. All right, let's quickly go outside in. Uh, other noteworthy results for you across Major League Soccer in this 14-game slate. Yeah, man, did you notice how, how much FC Cincinnati rocks? They rock they just, some awesome just, orange jerseys. Yeah. That's about it. They just rule. Yeah. Traffic cone uh, in performance and in appearance. <laughs> Cincinnati. Oh, man. And, and the light was green, just like the Verde kits <laughs> of Austin, for sure. They got a uh, run past, run over. 5-0 Austin beating Cincinnati. Oh, man. And, you know, it, it. I'm sure Hurts is a Cincinnati supporter. They've got some loyal supporters. Mm-hmm. You hear them on Twitter all the time. They're very loyal. Uh, they are watching expansion teams who are younger than them pass them by. Oh yeah. That's gotta be hard. Is it possible? Is it possible to be passed by when you start from zero and nobody else really does? That's true. I guess (laughs) traffic cone has been pretty stationary for a long time. That's for sure. Uh, One note for me, I mean, all four teams who played in CCL lost and and none of them Mm -hmm. scored a goal. They conceded a total of seven, uh, three of those conceded by the Rapids at LAFC. LFC is going to score three on a lot of teams at home, so no shame in that defeat. No shame in losing to Nashville, obviously, if you're Seattle. But still, on the whole, you can see the effects of teams basically still in their preseasons having to rotate. Yeah. And it's just always been a hard grind for those teams. Yeah, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned this yet, especially because I think Seattle's the team that it most applies to. But 
the MLS season is long enough that you can lose a game like Sunday night if you're Seattle and still make the playoffs. I would prefer for MLS teams to focus on CONCACAF Champions League early in the season while they have the opportunity to do so because it's, it's time for an MLS team to win. So I'm not, I'm not sweating any of those teams losing on the opening weekend of the season, and I think they'll all be fine. Um, mm-hmm. New England obviously didn't play their CCL game um, because Cavalli from Haiti was unable to travel. But, um, you know, these, these five teams uh, – Sorry, sorry, Colorado, you're, you're no longer in the running there. But I, I think there's something special, um, potential, potentially on the way in CCL, hopefully. Um, the other, the, the one other result that I wanted to mention was Atlanta smacking Sporting KC. Obviously, Atlanta was not what we historically expect of it in their, in their brief history, I guess, last season. And they really haven't been the last two seasons. Um, SKC always kind of is, is a little rocky to, at the very start of the year. But it was still an eye-opener. First week jitters, yes. But it was something that definitely caught my eye. Yeah, uh, Luis Araujo is really tough. He's he's going to be an outstanding player. When they get uh, what Tiago Almada, I believe, is mm-hmm. there. Uh, newcomer that's going to be coming into in the attack they're going to be a force to be reckoned with even if joseph martinez never really does regain his former footing and if he does watch out they're not exactly missing ezekiel barco i think yeah. it's, it's safe yeah. to say I, th- I think it you could pretty easily put ezekiel barco on a lot of teams in mls and they would not be upgraded <laughs> yes I, they'd be upgraded in their cost and that's about yeah. it uh, final whistle, content recommendations, and, and an update, by the way, from the 440 Sports Football League. Before we get into all that, uh, I'm in seventh place. You are in eighth, and Braden's in I did in not, like, Captain Carlos Vela. He was on my team. Oh, man. At least he was on your team. I didn't even choose him, which was yeah. a mistake that I hint, hint, may not make again this coming weekend. Uh, pulling up the, the standings now, because we want to make sure we congratulate the uh, the first place contestant who had a big-time week and did Captain Carlos Vela. And that's Clayton Mitchell, the Murfreesboro Old Boys, 105 points. I am at 87, Tim's at 83, and Braden Gall, the proprietor of 440 Sports. I'm still scrolling. I'm still scrolling. <laughs> yes, 29th place, but 61. Not a bad, uh, not a bad start. And 53 people in the league. Great numbers, about double from last year. So make sure you sign up. You're going to be behind a little bit, not far behind Brayden, but behind if you uh, if you sign up this week. But you can still sign up. You're still able to. And uh, sorry, this has just become a space where we rag on Brayden, and that's okay. He's tough enough to take it. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I promise I will not be uh, making poor captain decisions. My 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 choice still had big numbers. I you know Cecilio Dominguez from Austin FC. I was like, okay, playing yeah. at home, playing FC Cincinnati, we're gonna do all right, and we did more than all right. It's just that Vela uh, is is something else when he's on, and um, you know he's one of those guys that if he's on this year, LAFC might be very different than we've seen in the past couple of years. I tend to overthink these things, but I went with Julian oh, Russell against. What Charlotte. I would I never. Know. I know, right? You heard my. <laughs> my diatribe earlier about points and road games and yeah, I don't overthink anything. Uh, I started Julian Gressel against Charlotte because I thought number one, probably a clean sheet. Number two, he's probably going to get involved in a goal. He did not assist a goal. He did get the clean sheet. So decent performance from him, but not good enough. Don't, don't overthink, do the smart thing. Be the, be the caveman. Oh, Vela start captain. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Keep it simple, and then go from there. But yeah, li- li- listen to your like primal instinct there. Yeah. The wonkier your MLS knowledge gets, the more you can actually sometimes struggle in MLS fantasy. Um, my content recommendation is simply to watch the other MLS games. Be a fellow junkie with us, and and follow along outside of Nashville. There, this is such a dramatic, crazy league. There's so many wild storylines. Watch those games with us, and it'll make this outside in section uh, section of the podcast even more fun. And mine is. 
as as per my tradition, my content recommendation is not content. It is uh it is to uh to either join or at least hang out with some of the Nashville SC supporters groups. A mm-hmm. ton of people, um, roadies, mixtape, uh, uh, assembly. I, I can't remember what all of them. That I saw. Bergado de Oro had sent people out to Seattle. Incredible to see these people. Yeah. Obviously, heaters in Eastern Front uh, ho- co-hosted the ML Rose watch party with us, so that was exciting as yeah, well. But awesome. just seeing the the level of support for Nashville SC growing in this community is is incredible. And um, you know, I, I would encourage everyone to to do what you can to be a bigger part of the uh, Nashville SEO sphere. I guess I would say my other my other recommendation. Um, uh, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. It is it is Monday afternoon. My wife is working overnight, not during the day today. So she was watching a, a television show this afternoon called uh, Big Sky, and I and I'm sitting there um, 